we're on this exciting journey because we want to be more like Jesus, basically. And everybody who touched Jesus got something from heaven. Uh, he delivered the goods. He delivered health. He delivered, he delivered food. He delivered healing. He delivered demonic. He got people delivered of demons. You touched him. You got something good from heaven in your life. And I'm tired of doing church where that doesn't happen. So we're kind of, and we're all kind of on this journey of learning how to be more like him. So that when you touch us, you get more of heaven and less of me. That's kind of broadly what we're about, isn't it? And it's kind of scary, sometimes weird, uh, but we're doing our best. That's about right, isn't it? But what we're discovering is this whole realm of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, and its invasion of us, uh, it's like, it's just really hard to get words around it. Um, and, and, And every arena of life has its jargon. If you sit in, I used to work in computers, and you could sit in meetings with computer programmers, and you know, and every other word was a buzzword, an acronym, and you're like, if you didn't know what they were on about, you would have, you could, you know, understand and, but, the, and it's time to make the tea. And that was all you would know. And Christianity can be a bit like that, can't it? You know, you come in and we have our kind of language. And now we're kind of stretching the envelope a bit. And we're kind of, we're grabbing for words to try and put language around what we're experiencing. And what I want to encourage you, I want to encourage you to think, not react. All right, so you'll hear a word and you think, oh, it's, it's a buzzword, it's a jargon. I actually, I, I actually started this message to talk about what are the jargon words and what do they mean and try and unpack some of it. And I only ended up with dealing with one, so you just have to live with that as we get into the message. But I want to encourage you to think, not go, oh, I don't like that word. Or, maybe there's a reason why things are being said and things are being done. Just maybe it's stretching our envelope it's stretching the realm of our understanding. Yeah. And, and if we... I've been a Christian as long as Nick and maybe a bit longer. And I've, I'm convinced we need to learn some fresh things yes. and be reprogrammed by our daddy in heaven in order to do the stuff that Jesus did. I've been doing the old stuff for 30 years and it's nice, but I haven't raised the, raised the dead yet. And I was commissioned to heal the sick, raise the dead, yeah. cleanse the leper, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. And so are you. Yeah. Don't look at me like it's all up to you, because it's up to you as well. So I need some new equipment. I need some new impact. I need some new revelation. Yeah. And that's, I believe, what's happening to us. And it was so good uh, when Pete and Kim Carter were up with us the other week, just the story of actually one of their, just someone who came into their meeting, came back to the Lord, and then went and saw a friend, non-Christian friend, who was brain dead on an incubator, raised back to life. Like, because that's what you normally do. So the doctors had said, this person is brain dead, we're going to switch the support systems off, come in and say goodbye to this person, this is going to be your last goodbye. This, This lady had been praying, went in there, prayed for the guy, and responses returned to him, and he was back home by Christmas. That's the kind of Christianity we're called to do and live and breathe. Um, So can you put my first slide up, guys? Uh, My title is Repentance, Alignment, and Renewing Your Mind, or Agreeing with Heaven. 
Now, depending where you are, there's jargon in either of those phrases, but by the end of this, you're going to be profoundly instructed because I'm on the case. So let's, let's just flick the next slide, which is uh, Romans 4. I've just got the scripture up there, make it easier for us. I uh, probably don't need... Ooh, can you read that? Yeah. Uh, let's break in on verse 17. Oh, lovely. Look at that. Um, as it is written, I've made you the father of many nations. So this is God's promise to Abraham. In the presence of God, in whom he believed, he gives, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. I hope, in hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered that his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he, he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. So Abraham and Sarah are faith heroes in the Bible. Abraham is known as the father of those of faith. But I, I kind of got in touch with this in a fresh way as I was reading it. And I thought, you know what? God changed both of their names. Sariah to Sarah and Abraham to Abraham. And uh, it's quite interesting, they were barren for a very long time. Not, she was unable to have kids. And the, basically, the, the crux of the promise to Abraham is that you're going to have a baby and you're going to be the father of a multitude. Yeah. So God makes this promise of, of, of incredible fruitfulness to this barren couple who are now aging. And, and to kind of back the promise up, he changes their names. And what you need to understand is the names, particularly Abraham, is more like a sentence in Hebrew. And, and, and it's, it's more than just a familiar sounding name. It's a meaningful sentence. It, actually, their names was a confession. So every time Sarah called Abraham to remind him to take the rubbish out because it's bin day tomorrow, you know, that kind of, Abraham! Have you put the bins out? She would have been saying, father of a multitude. Every time he introduced himself to someone, he'd shake their hand or do whatever they did in that culture. And they'd say, well, who are you? I'm father of multitude. Or how are your kids? Don't have any. And, and as, you know, as Abraham bought Sarah her early morning cup of tea, which all good husbands do, It's a glorious thing. <laughs> Your reward will be great. And, she, and he said, Sarah, it is, I'm banking on it. <laughs> and he said, Sarah, he was reminding her that she was a mother of nations, that kings of peoples shall come from her womb. Every flipping morning, every bin day, every new introduction, Every letter written to them would be announcing, you're a father of a multitude. You're a mother of nations. For 20 years after the promise, they would be saying this to one another every day, time after time after time. God deliberately gave them names that spoke the promise as if it was there. He got them to join in with him. Because there's that little line that says that 
He's the one that calls things that are not as though they are. So they, I mean, and he refused to shorten his name to, I don't know, Abe, you know, <laughs> to avoid the embarrassment. You know, just to kind of cut the sentence down so it didn't mean as, mean as much. Can you imagine that? Day after day, 20 years, calling things that are not as though they were, confessing and agreeing with God's opinion and God's promise, not their experience. Good morning, father of a multitude. Well, good morning, mother of nations and kings. That was their standard greeting. You get invited to a party. I don't know if it was posh that maybe announced you at the door. Father of a multitude and mother of nations are here with none of their children because they don't have any yet. They refuse to be defined by earth. They just refused to be defined by earth and they just kept speaking the name God. They had a choice. They didn't have to do this. They could have stuck with their own names. God's not a controller. He's not going to force you every time you go to say your name to say something else. If you don't want to be called Abraham, that's fine. If you want to be called sloppy dude in the Greek or the Hebrew, that's fine. But they chose to align with, agree with, confess the most awkward possible thing they could confess because it agreed with heaven. And so they became the parents, not of just an offspring, but all who have faith, and their legacies lasted for over four millennia. And they demonstrated the reality of, of something that says in Isaiah. Do you want to flick up the next slide, guys? Isaiah 55, a lot of Christ famous kind of chapter. <clears throat> we don't struggle to, to get the first line, really. God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Yep, that's okay. For as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth making it spring forth and sprout giving seed to the sow and bread to the eater so shall my word be, be that goes out from my mouth it shall not return to me empty but shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall su succeed in the thing that I sent it so Abraham and Sarah are a picture of this going on so God's thoughts aren't our thoughts only God looks at you know a barren couple who are aging and goes you know what I see parents of a multitude. We walk around going, shame, you're barren. God goes, wow, parents. Do you see what I mean? His thoughts are not our thoughts. And in order to change the situation, he communicates from heaven, from his arena, from his realm, down into our realm, something supernatural that has power in it to change our realm to line up with him. So, as just like rain and snow come down, it says God's word comes from his mouth. It impacts us with the consequence that if we get into belief and faith and agreement with it, that we start to live like he thinks, not like what we think. And this is what's happened with Abraham and Sarah. Okay, just nod if you agree. Or so God... 
And the ultimate example of this was with Jesus. Jesus was, the, was heaven to earth personified. He was the perfect example. He was God completely fleshed out. Somehow God managed to represent himself completely accurately and fully by sending himself in a man. It's remarkable, but Jesus was the exact representation of God. And he managed to pull off representing God in all his likeness, in all his goodness, whilst clothed and being fully man. Awesome. That's God's thoughts manifesting right down here in the life of Jesus. And every time God speaks to you, he's raining something from heaven down into your earth to try and make your earth look more like him and more like heaven. All right. So every promise, every word, every declaration, every impact by the Spirit, God is raining down on us continuously by his Spirit and through his word in order to communicate his glorious heavenly thoughts, his glorious heavenly realities to us so that we can enjoy more of that and less of this. That being heaven, this being earth. Yeah. So heaven is coming to earth and that was personified in Jesus. He said, repent because the kingdom of God is at hand. Why? Because he was there. Okay so far? So our couple, Abraham and Sarah, changed their minds, changed their confession to line up with God's reality rather than their present experience, rather than earth. What earth had dealt them What life had dealt them was barrenness. What God proclaimed was we're going to be mom and dad to nations. And they connected to and confessed and emotionally and mentally lined up with God's declaration rather than their own experience. Amazing. Now, in the New Testament, we use the word repentance a lot. So, let me flick up the next slide. There's just a couple of many examples. Peter said, repent and be baptized, each of you. The first preaching of the gospel there in Acts 2. Repent and be baptized. Anybody needs to be baptized here? We're going to do that in a few weeks. For the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then... Acts uh, 17.30, God commands or declares to all men everywhere that they should repent. And historically, the word repentance has had a little bit of a, a kind of negative overtone. Repent, you know, you kind of picture people with, with sandwich boards saying, repent for the end of the world is nigh. And, 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 and kind of slightly angry preachers calling people to repentance. And it has these overtones of you know, be really sorry or confess your sins. Or if you go back a bit further in history, repentance was translated penance, which actually meant you had to go to a priest, you had to confess to him, and you had to do something to buy your forgiveness. You had to pay money or buy, buy your way out of your problem uh, by doing certain things. And, and those sort of connotations of confession of feeling sorrowful, of doing something, of suffering a bit because of how rubbish you've performed, have kind of lingered in our understanding of the word repentance a little bit at some level or other. Uh, And and yet it's a very, it's used a lot in the Bible 
Some of it is a translation issue. So the people, it was translated penance in the Vulgate and stuff back in the ancient days. And then they didn't kind of go all the way. What they didn't do was go, let's look at what the word is in Greek and let's get the right word. They kind of went halfway and said, well, let's call it repentance. And it got, it's got saddled with some of these connotations that, you know, we, we, and it's interesting what was read about, don't, was it don't cry on your beds or cry out to me. A lot of people think repentance is having a good old cry to God for mercy. For, for instance, or is about confessing sin. Um, I'm not saying it's wrong to call out to God. I'm not saying it's wrong to confess your sin. The Bible's clear that we should confess our sin in 1 John 1 9, but the word repentance actually isn't used in that context. <coughs> the word repent in Greek is metanoia, and it consists of two words stuck together. Uh, one is nous or nous for mind, and meta, which means together with. So it basically means it suggests a radical mind shift. And the Greek preposition meta, meaning together with, implies another influence. So some, some the scholars are looking at this and going, hang on a minute, Let, let's recover what this really is about. It's about a medical, a, a medical rind shift. <laughs> See, you got that one. A medical rind shift is what we all need this morning, I'm sure. It's a medical rind... I'm still doing it. It's a radical mind shift. But it's with another influence. Now that scares Westerners. We value the mind highly and the intellect and the power of reason very significantly in our culture. And the idea that our heads are being influenced or affected by any outside influence is something that we struggle to believe in. But actually, I've done that. You can't produce repentance on your own. You can't, now remember the word we're using now is you can't produce a radical mind shift on your own. I'm going to flick up the next slide. Oh, we've done that. There we go. So what spirit is messing with your head? This is, this is scary for Westerners. You mean, what my brain is not this kind of isolated, walled-in thing that I have complete control over. Well, you have control over it, but you're not the only one interfering with it. So, 2 Corinthians 11.3 says, I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts... Hello? may be led astray from sincere and pure devotion to Christ. He's talking about enemy activity getting in your head and luring you away from thoughts of pure devotion to Jesus. I think that happens to lots of us most of the day. And then Paul in Ephesians 4, 
in between saying, take off the old ways of life, take off the old ways of doing things and put on Christ, put on the new nature. In between saying, take one off and put one on, he says, and be renewed, not in the mind, well, it is the mind, but in the spirit of your minds. Ooh. See? No, minds had spirits. And it doesn't mean attitude. We tend to, again, we've kind of naturalized some Bible verses to mean like renewed in the attitude. No, it's the spirit. And 2 Timothy 1.7 confirms it. For God has not given us a spirit, the spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit, of fear, but a spirit of power and love and sound mind, literally sound-mindedness. The Holy Spirit is a spirit of sound-mindedness. He's come to change your mind. He's come to influence your mind. And the devil's out to influence your mind. He's out to wreck your thoughts away from purity to God to some other distracted thing. And then, uh, I haven't got these verses up, but in 2 Corinthians 10, it talks about how Paul says, we have, we have weapons that are powerful to destroy strongholds. And you're like, yeah. And the next verse says, we're pulling down every thought. That raises itself up against the knowledge of God. Every thought that comes in your head that gets you or I away from Jesus is actually coming from somewhere else and we need to pull it down. Very good. Very good. Hmm. Let me stick up next. Oh no, back, back, sorry. I thought I'd got another slide. E- even when the Bible talks about repentance in Acts 11 says God has granted repentance to the Gentiles 2 Timothy 2.25 says with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition if perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth to have a radical mind shift involves the the intervention of a force outside yourself it's together with the Holy Spirit that our minds are transformed to agree with God. That's really what repentance means. It's not about wringing your hands. It's about the Holy Spirit working in you, in you, so that your mind is influenced by Him and you start to line up with and agree with what God has said rather than what you thought or felt or the enemy planted. It's shifting you out of earthliness into heavenliness by the influence of the Holy Spirit in your head. The Holy Spirit's in your head. And he wants to be more in your head. So the place of stronghold, the, ba- the place of battle is actually between your ears. And that's what Abraham and Sarah seem to do so well. Is they, they must have looked at their bodies every day and thought, this is an impossibility. But you know what? We're going to line up with who God said we are. We are mums and dads of multitudes and kings. Dad of multitude, put the rubbish out. Mother of nations, here's your early morning cup of tea. We're not going to give up on this. This is what God said. 20 years of doing the same thing, saying this is what is going to be. This is who we are. This is who we are. We have no kids, but we're parents. 
Reason alone isn't going to change your mind. I could, if, if I could preach an incredibly great reasoned sermon that was persuasive in its reasoning, and I'm not saying that's wrong to do, I'm just saying that on its own will not transform your mind. If you agree with all my conclusions. Because what we need to do, we need a radical mind shift. We don't just need to be changed in the content of our heads. We need to start thinking from heaven to earth. We need to be changed in the spirit of our minds. So we need not just great reasoning, we need Holy Spirit anointing, we need Holy Spirit help in our heads. Yeah, he wants to help you. He wants to, in fact, it says we have the mind of Christ. He's very interested in what goes on in our brains and what, what, what influences our thinking. And I mean, Peter is a, is a classic example of what I'm talking about. So one minute, you'll have to look this up on your own time. Do, do some thinking about this. One minute in Matthew 16, he's being commended for having a fantastic revelation because Jesus says, okay, you guys, who do you think I am? And he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And he gets commended by Jesus and says, oh, that's so amazing. You didn't get that any other way other than my father in heaven revealed it to you. So Peter's like, whoa, look at me. I got something from heaven and I nailed it. Something I couldn't learn, I got a download from the Almighty glory. <laughs> Two verses or three verses later, he's being rebuked for being Satan. <laughs> Jesus turned to Jesus is telling them how he's gonna have to leave them and be crucified, and Peter grabs him and says, No, no, this can't be, Lord. And he rebukes him. So Jesus says, Get behind me, Satan. And listen what the next says. You don't have in mind the things of God, but the things what's going on in his head isn't from heaven this time it's from somewhere else same bloke yeah. ah, mighty revelation the next minute is is a mouthpiece for the enemy why because he's allowed something in his head that doesn't line up with heaven it lines up with earth so repentance means allowing the working allowing and working with the influence of the spirit to change your mind into a place of agreement with God's reality. Yep. Repentance means <clears throat> allowing and working with the influence of the Spirit to change your mind into a place of agreement with God's reality. Shall I say it again? Repentance means allowing and working with the influence of the Spirit to change your mind into a place of agreement with God's reality. It's not fundamentally about making people feel bad about sin. Now, obviously, if you are in sin and you change your mind, you realize that was an awful thing to do, then there is a place for godly sorrow. But the point of godly sorrow is that it's to lead to repentance. The sorrow itself is not repentance. Sorrow on, it, on its own, it, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians, can lead you to death. Yes. So just being sorry, being emotional about a mistake, is not what repentance is. It can lead you to it, but in itself isn't. So repentance is a radical mind shift on the influence of God's Spirit where you begin to agree with Him 
rather than what you think, what you feel, what the devil says, or what happens generally in, in the earth. It's joining God's power with your thoughts. It's aligning your thoughts to his. Hello? And primarily, I think it's about lining our thoughts to his thoughts about us. That is the most basic thing. That's why I started with Abraham and Sarah. What they were doing, they were putting their trust in God's opinion of them. Rather than everything that their life told them about them. And they started to confess it. And there's something about confession. Do you know, don't, don't you find that a hard idea to introduce yourself? You know, say the promise over my life, oh, let's, let's think of something, I haven't got this in my notes, but is um, yeah, I don't know, God says to me, millionaire. I don't know. No, let, let's, go, let's go somewhere else because that's got, people are going to miss the point if I go with that one. Uh, pastor of a church of a thousand. Doesn't look like it, do he? It can get a bit embarrassing if, you, if that, and he changed my name to Pastor of Church of a Thousand. You know, every leaders' meeting I go into, I go, oh, what's your name? Yeah, Pastor of Church of a Thousand. They're like, how many you got? 150? What kind of idiot are you? Oh, I'm just an idiot who's agreeing with God. But after 20 years, it gets a bit frustrating introducing yourself. Something inside you has to emotionally have connected and gone, you know what, I'm just going to keep walking. I'll keep agreeing with what God says about me. <clears throat> you might want to write this down as well. His faith in what he knows to be true about you defines you. Not what you believe about you. His faith in what he believes about you defines you. It's so important we find out what he thinks about us and agree with that. And even if it doesn't line up with our experience... That's not a problem to God. He wasn't looking like, my goodness, Abraham's old. How am I going to get this to work? And, you know, I've got 40 years of barrenness to overcome. How on earth are we going to do this? Get, get some angels around. Get some, yes, get some ideas, this barren, aging couple. And, you know, 20 years ago, I went and said they were going to be a father of a multitude. And now, look, what, what a fix I've got heaven into. His absolute confidence in his own ability to bring about the things that he says. So his faith in what he knows about you, to, to be true about you, is what defines you. He believes stuff about you that is way better than what we believe about us. And we've been covering it over and over again. He calls us royal priests. He calls us kings. 
And lots of us go, ah, that feels so unreal. It's real in heaven. If you could see yourself in heaven, which is where you're seated with him, you would be there looking like royalty. You are there looking like royalty. With authority, with significance, with impact, with power. That's who you are. What he's seeking for us to do is to hear that and start to line up with it, live with it down here. It's not humble to deny who God says you are. It's stupid. And we've dressed up foolishness as humility in the church. And we've allowed the enemy to tell us we're useless and we're small to the point at which proclaiming uselessness and smallness has become a virtue. It's become humility. And it actually detracts from the glory of God because God has lifted us up. God said to 11, there was 11 of them left in Matthew 28. He said, do you know what, guys? All authority has been given to me, so now I send you, go and change nations. Oh, Jesus, you could possibly do that. You, know, you don't know who we are. He certainly did know who they were. <laughs> go and disciple nations. Eleven of you change the planet. Well, it could possibly rise to that. He's expecting us to rise to a call to change the planet. Well, I don't feel like that. Sarah did not feel very like she could be pregnant. Abraham did not feel like the Italian stallion. Nothing in their circumstances was speaking greatness to these guys and fruitfulness. Nothing was saying to them, oh, it's going to be like that. Everything they reached for that could have given them a clue that maybe the miracle will happen wasn't there. He's seeking to lift us into his reality and out of ours slash the devil's. Notice how Peter, when, when Jesus rebukes him to get behind me, Satan, he says, you don't have in mind the thing of God, but man. Interesting sequence, eh? Get behind me, Satan, because what's in your head is not God's thoughts, but man's ideas. So a lot of human ideas have their roots in, in demonic deception. That's why we've got to keep coming back to Scripture, keep coming back to revelation from heaven rather than just what's commonly accepted. So we desperately, desperately, church, we need to think. We need to get free in our heads. I'm not here to tell you what to think. I want to make you think. So if I say something and you go, oh, I don't like that word, go and find out why you don't like it rather than go, Reject, reject, reject. Maybe it's landing on something in you you need to think about. The church needs to think because it needs to start to think different. It needs to start to think like God thinks. And we've all got the capacity to think like heaven. We do. I'm looking at royal priests. I'm looking at kings and princesses. I'm looking at people who are going to change this city, change this nation, go to the nations, influence and change other nations. I'm looking at people with the DNA of heaven inside of them who know what God thinks and feels on all kinds of stuff and he wants you to access it. And I'm saying think because some of the things we think at the minute are human thoughts, not father thoughts. And they limit who we are and what we think we can do. 
It's time to repent. Not, oh, I'm sorry. No, just go, God, help me. Get in my head and help me line up. Help me align myself with what you say. Your plumb line from heaven. Let me line up with that, not what all my confused thoughts and feelings and experiences tell me about me. So to move to that, you have to move away from something else, yeah? That's part of what change means connection to one thing by disconnecting from another thing. So presently, we're all agreeing with stuff that we think is correct, and it feels right and it feels good, but actually from heaven's perspective, God's perspective, it isn't correct. No matter how convinced we currently are, we're just wrong about something, all right? I'll be first out there. There's loads of things I'm sure that I am actually wrong about. So I have to uncouple myself from that, stop agreeing with that, and start agreeing with something else. So you need to break agreements to make agreements. Hello? So to line up with one thing, you've got to stop lining up with something else. And a word we've used or we're using is like partnering. It's like agreeing. It's linking to. It's like who are you walking with? Which spirit is in your head? Which mood is governing your mood? Is it heaven's mood, your mood, or earth's mood? Is it a lie? Is it truth? What What are you? What's ruling you and your mood and your thinking? And the thing we need to watch out for is that not only can the devil put thoughts in your head, like, you're useless. He can actually make you feel useless. He can give you chapter and verse while you are useless. I'm not speaking like, I know this about other people, I know this about me. I can remember walking to my kitchen one day and saying, I'd done something I thought was crazy. I said, oh, I'm just stupid. And straight away I could hear the Holy Spirit say, don't say that. But I I did this and that happened. This thought had power in my experience. Stupidness as as an attitude about me was ruling how I felt about myself. I can't find a Bible verse that says, in Christ I'm stupid. not there. I can find stuff about my old nature and my old life that says that I was foolish and I was falling short of the glory of God. But my new nature, who I am in Christ, is not that. And I'm becoming more of who I am in Christ. I'm not run by the old. The whole point of the cross was to kill the old man was to forgive you, but also kill the power of the old man in your life. Romans 6. Count yourself dead to sin, because you are. Not as a mind trick, but in alignment with what's really true. You are dead to sin. You may think about it, you may even feel like it's good, but that doesn't mean that you're alive. It just means the devil's a liar, and good at making sin look attractive, and you think that sin is still alive in you, 
That is absolute deception from the pit of hell. You're dead. Yeah, but this God stuff doesn't feel real. Of course it doesn't feel real. If you spent, however, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years feeling utterly convinced that you are rubbish, it's going to take a few encounters with him and a bit of reprogramming from heaven to start to think and feel that actually you could be walking as a saint. Hello? A hundred years nearly of childlessness did not define Abraham and Sarah. That wasn't who they were in heaven's opinion. And eventually, what do you know? Babies. Yeah, but it feels so unreal. Listen. The enduring reality in this cosmos is God and heaven. This will all pass away. Which reality do you want to live plugged into the most? What you can measure, taste, see, or what is coming down from heaven that can transform our lives and the planet? So God's plan is to have loads and loads. It's not hard for him to get us into heaven. That's already done. What he's actually after is to get as much of heaven down here through us before the thing ends. Hello? So the authentic thing in life is God's opinion. The real thing, to get real, is to line up with him. Is to repent and line up with him. Is to break agreement with earthly nonsense and line up with that's authentic that's keeping it real okay I'm going to wrap it up with this what, what does this how does this work out well notice I'm using some other words here because I'm, I'm trying to recapture the authentic meaning of repentance so that we can all go away thinking you know what I'm in a life of change I'm in a life of stopping agreeing with one thing and agreeing with another thing I'm in a life of realigning my emotions and my thinking with God and heaven's opinion of me not my experience or some other all right so listen to the words I'm using breaking agreement lining up realigning all those words express in current current currency what repentance means so if I go to the garage and my tires are wearing funny on each side what do they do they realign my wheels that's what God's doing with us lots of Christians tires are wearing funny in the spirit And God wants to take you in the shop, put the laser beams on you, and realign you with his reality. That's repentance. So, therefore, encounters with the Spirit, God encounters, 
help renew your mind. All right, it's not a separate thing. Oh, yeah, look at them. They, they're having an encounter, however that looks like. Having encounters with God changes something in your head because you're not a series of separate boxes. You're a unique and unified person. And the Holy Spirit working in you profoundly will affect the way you think. Not just that you had a nice feeling one day. So that's one, another reason why we're encouraging this thirst for encounters with God. Now remember, it's not what it looks like on the outside, but it's having a real encounter with the presence of God. And I found when I talk to people who had a real encounter with the presence of God, a lot of the language starts to come easier because they're also reaching to explain the thing that's going on with them. If you come at this just with your intellect, then you're going to keep bouncing off it. You need to involve the Holy Spirit in your intellect and then see what starts to fire. So you you don't get changed just by learning. You get changed from encounters. And that's what 2 Corinthians 3.18 says. We're transformed by beholding something, not just by learning something. I don't think learning truly transforms us. There's lots of people out there who aren't Christians who believe in the power of changing what's in your head, and it works. We believe in the, the power of changing who you behold, and it works. allow scripture and the spirit to speak beyond the realms of your current experience, your current opinions and your current feelings. Stop dismissing things because it doesn't feel right to you now. Stop dismissing things because it doesn't feel right to you now. Stop dismissing things because it doesn't feel right to you now. Because it doesn't work for me. It's never worked for me. Didn't work for them. So to speak. Start to talk about yourself like God talks about you. Don't let words like, I'm just such a mess up, come out of your mouth. Don't speak it over one another in in a family. Speak words of encouragement and affirmation and remind one another how God sees you. Father of many nations, take the bins out. One of the reasons we're, we're setting up this Sozo ministry in the church is because it's really it's a guided encounter with God that helps you break agreement with lies and come into alignment with the truth about you. And, and I love it because it just helps me get in touch with the lies I'm believing. I can ditch them and start to agree with him, which is always a happier place. Most unhappy people are agreeing with the wrong person. Honestly, heaven is full of joy. So if you agree with him and his view, it's going to affect your countenance. Okay, we won't go there any more than we already have. God believes in you. He believes... As crazy as this man might sound to you, he believes without any flicker of doubt, without any trace of him ever changing his mind, 
without anything that you actually do upsetting what he has already thought about you. He believes that every single one of you is called and equipped and can change the world. He believes and has achieved and has given you a royal seating in heaven now. He believes you are a bona fide son or daughter of the king with heaven's DNA running through you and Jesus' mind in you and Jesus' presence in you and that is going to give you strength and cause you to be someone that revolutionizes your own life and the lives of the people around you. He thinks that about all of us. Every day, all the time and he never goes, oh, this is a bit of a silly idea. Ever. He never goes, oh, look what they did, darn, I was wrong about him. He keeps calling you up, calling you up, calling you up. See yourself as he sees you. Believe what he believes about you. Be defined by his opinion opinion of you. It's time to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. You may have heard it said, I now understand this phrase. Lots of people have repented enough to go to heaven, but not enough to see the kingdom of heaven come to earth. If you insert this teaching in the word repent, you'll understand that that actually makes a lot of sense. Yeah, so our inner transformation has to continue from the moment of conversion where we change our mind and we start to agree with God about our sin and now his forgiveness. We have to keep continuing being transformed in that way so that we agree with him in in increasing measure and we never plateau this never ends you never stop aligning yourself you never stop breaking agreement with one thing and agreeing with something else you never stop kind of repenting until you're totally transformed in glory